Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to my latest podcast, number three. I did promise you some variety, so here we go. My life's work thus far has been squarely focused on the Arctic, but that special place can only exist as part of a wider world. It has given me a perspective on life back in my native England, driven largely by the privilege of seeing places both entirely devoid of people and also small pockets of territory home to those able to carve out a niche in the cold wilderness. In particular, I've been struck by the approaches to community, nationhood and politics adopted by northern people, be they Russian, Inuit, Nordic and so on. Their sense of belonging and identity could not be more crucial as I compare the state the West and much of the globe currently finds itself in. I'm going to share some thoughts with you about nationalism. Last Sunday saw the first round of voting in the French presidential election. It is possible, albeit unlikely, a previously marginalised Marine Le Pen, a right-wing leader riding the crest of a wave, could emerge the victor having made the second round. Last year, my own country decided to leave the same European project it optimistically joined decades before. Soon after, the world's most powerful nation elected Donald Trump, a self-promoting celebrity who inherited his wealth and influence. Let's forget about left and right. They're hopelessly reductive terms for something as complex as politics and governance. At the heart of all, and of the fear that the electorate are now showing in electing them, is nationalism, which tends to be at the heart of all past extreme regimes, whether conveniently labelled to the political left or right. Nationalism. In essence, the promotion of the interests of those you consider to be of your superior tribe. By extension, it implies the opposite attitude towards those outside your borders or those wishing from afar to join you within yours. The ground zero of them versus us. Tying together this tangled web of campaigning, partisan division and electoral systems is the question of why people become nationalists in the first place. Through the centuries, the precursor has invariably been fear and discomfort. Bad times, in other words. Very few comfortable, secure people become nationalist in their outlook. It's not unlike a starving, feral dog being backed into a corner. It's also clear to me that there is a scale of nationalism. On one end is the extreme, more blatant in nature than it is insidious. Examples include those gripping Europe nearly a century ago. On the other hand is patriotism being proud of the country you, by complete chance, happen to be born to. The ease with which one, seemingly soft and even fun, can slide towards becoming the other is worthy of some reflection. It is easy to claim to be a patriot, but can you articulate why you became to be so? Often such attempts can end up sounding pretty empty or even ridiculous. I now want to unpick the way people routinely justify their nationalism. Nationalism in the name of shared values is an absurdity. Across a sovereign nation, vast or otherwise, it is unlikely for values to be truly shared to an appreciable level beyond the very basics. By basics, I mean something as fundamental to civil society as outlawing murder and rape. But consider that you today may still share a voting booth with someone who doesn't even agree with you on those foundations of how we live together. When you consider the subsequent steps of the ladder, though, I certainly do not identify with the worldviews, morality or priorities of much of the national population. Let me illustrate. I don't share values with Britons who abuse the welfare system. I don't share values with those who believe in reinstating capital punishment. 
with those who believe they have the right to not be offended, with those who derive their moral compass from the Bible or Quran. Ask yourself the same question and I suspect you'll end up sharing values with only a tiny trash of those in your community or wider nation. I identify with decent, rational, secular and thoughtful people. This necessarily means I identify with many people worldwide, regardless of whether they share my passport or not. As such, the only other source for nationalistic fervour must be an intellect incapable of following that logic. The only other reason for nationalism is a calculated ulterior motive. Indeed, nationalism and its opponent, globalism, are equally ludicrous because the principles behind them will never cease. Subgroups and then sub-subgroups will seek to nationalise over perceived local identity until there are no nations, only groups of twos and threes. Alternatively, under globalism, borders will continually fall and totally free movement will ensure a single global nation with one regime impossibly attempting to govern all of human diversity. The delusions of honourable nationalism or total globalism are unworkable as they are academic ideals not born to the real world. Disturbingly, they appear to be at the centre of many major governments, most notably my own. UK Prime Minister Theresa May has based her messages for both Brexit and her general election campaign on these phantom shared values. I will splice in one Arctic example. I'm afraid it will again be critical of Great Britain. The imperial ambitions of the 19th and 18th centuries led to an explosion of shipborne polar explorations. Due to an accentuated sense of national and racial superiority, many of these failed and indeed perished due to the tactics that had never really been honed for Arctic travel. The pleading and advice of native Arctic people they encountered was rarely heeded. As a result, hundreds died and the British polar reputation was sealed internationally as based on hubris, misguided persistence and lack of skill. There was a nationalism at the core of our establishment at the time who influenced and funded such expeditions. This niche example can find support across almost any other topic you wish to name. Do I have an answer for us all? Here's the best I can manage. We must play the hand that has been dealt to us. We inherited nations, and so we cannot do away with them in one blow. And they do harbour much of the variety that makes our human culture rich and interesting. But we should not see them as an absolute or even of particular inherent value. They are human creations. We need to together find a way to balance the need to surround ourselves with those that we identify with, learn from those who have knowledge we lack, and condemn those who appall us. Nationalism, as it manifests in today's elections, is a symptom of narrow minds. Why? Not because I hold the counter view, but because the reason so often peddled in its support is totally vacuous. So-called shared values across a whole nation. Well, we've reached the end of today's podcast. Thanks so much for listening. We're still in the early stages of this podcast, so please, please, if you enjoyed it, spread the word via social media or even through old-fashioned word of mouth. Don't forget to subscribe so my next podcast appears automatically for you. Of course, you can follow whatever I'm up to on Twitter, at Alex Hibbert, via my website, which is alexhibbert.com. And finally, my books are available online, in bookstores, or direct from my website. Thanks so much again for climbing aboard in the early stages of my podcast, and I'll have the next one with you as soon as I can.